This is the Education Gadfly Show. In the gangster's paradise. We're just We're talking about the music movie, right? What does Gadfly say? Oh, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me welcoming my co-host, the Lin-Manuel Miranda of Education Reform, Alyssa Schwenk. Thank you, Mike. You know, normally you give me some sportsing figure that I have to like quickly Google on my phone to figure uh-huh. out who it is and why I'm this person of the week. But this one, like I actually get and I'm really excited and honored about. Well, so that raises the question, of course, does that mean that you were a theater geek back <laughs> in high school? You know, I actually uh, had the chance, the opportunity to reconnect with a bunch of high school friends this weekend and we spent a solid portion of our time together in the car singing uh, Broadway show tunes. Yeah. So while I'm totally tone deaf, like do not ask me to sing, yeah. I did have, you know, an inner theater nerd in high school. Yeah. And I should be, you know, very clear <laughs> that I actually don't think you're a nerd. You're in theater in high school. I was in, in theater uh, in middle school and high school a Ooh. bit. Yes, I do remember uh, I, I, in ninth grade Starring, well, not starring. I was in Flowers for Algernon. Remember oh, this play? And it was depressing. It was a very depressing play. And of course, I got cast as like the the main star, except when he was a kid. Okay. Okay. Because I was so small. I was going because to say I was that. not yet five feet tall when I was in ninth grade. And uh, I guess my I remember I was supposed to look. I was being yelled at, and I was supposed to look scared. And I I don't know. I guess I was too expressive, and people laughed. And yeah. my my co star was very angry at me for ruining the her. <laughs> you know, I did. Uh, confession time I did not do a ton of drama in high school but because in middle school we did the time machine Mm. and I was super excited and you know I walked in with like a full resume of like here's Mm -hmm. all of the plays I've done for community theater and I actually was an extra in movies when I was like four or five and I'm like here's everything I got like give me your best part and I was cast as Morlock number three Um. which not only involved walking around in something out of the Flintstones but involved like this terrible like white and purple face makeup and after that I'm like I will play in the band for theater productions Uh but I will not be on stage oh hey Harvey Johnson right here too and Bye Bye Birdie who who was literally the geek I was a theater (laughs) geek in that one so again when you think about the things I got cast in you know small children the nerd the nerd yes hello Mrs. Johnson I don't know how to say it this is Harvey Johnson, something like that. Oh, from the telephone scene. Yeah. That's a fun scene. There you go. Okay, we could go on, but let's talk education, including we will have a Hamilton question in uh, here for you. Of course we will. Okay, so Audrey, producer Audrey, is pinch hitting as our question reader as well. Audrey, let's play Pardon the Gadfly. A moving piece in the New York Times explored the history of segregation in the American public school system from the perspective of a journalist who is also a mother and chose a segregated school for her child. Is there any reason to hope that our schools will become more integrated anytime soon? That's a bleak question. That, I was seriously. Well, let's first talk about this article, Alyssa. What, mm-hmm. what were your thoughts? This was a big, big story in the New York Times Magazine. This uh, writer has mm-hmm. won uh, some awards for her This America mm-hmm. Life uh, mm-hmm. segment on segregation. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. forgetting her name right uh, now. Which Nicole Hannah-Jones. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, what do you think? She ends up sending her own daughter to what is in effect a segregated school. Yeah, I mean, you know, Nicole, Nicole Anna Jones, as you said, has been doing a lot of work on segregation and equity in the public schools. I saw her speak at EWA's uh, conference this year, actually, on some of the work that she's mm-hmm. doing. And it's truly tremendous and fabulous and moving work. Um, but yeah, she faces the question that a lot of parents face, which it well, that every parent face, which is where do I send my kid to school? Mm-hmm. And she comes from the context of she was purposefully when she was a student also growing up in Iowa, which I did not know. Mm-hmm. Um, her parents sent her across school on a bus to a 
predominantly white school. She's African-American. Yep. And, you know, then she got a good education. She was able to use that to get where she was today. And she says, point blank, if they hadn't put me on this bus, like I would mm-hmm. not be a staff writer or would have been a lot harder for me to, for, to be a staff writer for the New York Times right. Magazine. And now she faces it with her own students. So she's coming in with all of this context, all of this information on the history of segregation mm-hmm. and the impact of going to a low performing school. And it's this question of now, what do we do with my student? And how do I, as mm-hmm. a parent, do I send her like many of my co other middle-class mm-hmm. minority parents to a high performing school? Where do I put her in school? Do we go parochial? And it's kind of her and her mm-hmm. husband's journey. And this is in Brooklyn, where of course there's a lot mm-hmm. of gentrification happening, uh, but there's also been some controversy around these school zones, mm-hmm. a very popular school that was oversubscribed, popular and diverse, meaning right. not high minority, not high poverty. But now there's some other schools nearby that are much less mm-hmm. diverse, as in they still are high mm-hmm. poverty, high minority. And she ends up sending her daughter uh, to to one of those schools. Yeah, right? and I, look, you know, I, I, I wrote a book about this. I was about this, to bring yes, up a little called book called The Diverse you wrote. Schools Dilemma. Uh, though in the end, I made the other decision. I right. sold out. We moved to Bethesda uh, the, to the uh, least diverse school in Montgomery County. Uh, or at least it's awfully close. Uh, and look, these, these decisions are heart-wrenching and they're difficult. And I'll be curious to see uh, kind of how this plays out if mm-hmm. she keeps writing about it as her child goes through this experience. I mean, the, you know, look, the, the old saw is that if you're doing the right stuff at home, it doesn't really matter right. where they are, They're, that your kids are going to do fine no matter where uh, where they find themselves during the school day. I think that is usually the case, but look, there are there are issues on all sides. Great to have your kid in a diverse environment mm-hmm. where they can learn uh, such a more uh, a rich learning experience mm-hmm. on many different fronts. Uh, the challenge is in some of those high poverty, high minority schools, uh, mm-hmm. I think they're going to find that it's it's they, they face some big challenges. They really do. Right? And you've got kids coming in with all kinds of huge needs and you know understandably these schools tend to focus most of their efforts on helping the lowest performing kids catch up mm-hmm. uh, and what that tends to mean is that the higher achieving kids and and you would have to guess that the mm-hmm. daughter of a New York Times writer may be one of those we'll mm-hmm. see uh, you know may not get the attention that she needs or the, mm-hmm. the challenge but uh, who knows yeah. maybe the school's got what it takes uh, you know I certainly talked to a lot of people in for my book who were right. willing to send their kids to these relatively high poverty high minority schools but they were usually hoping that they were going to be part of a gentrification process. Right. And I certainly think like going back to the question Audrey posed, which is, is there any reason to hope that our schools will become more integrated? I think if they are to become more integrated, it's going to take concerted action and like actual opting into yeah. some of these situations, like the people that you spoke yeah. with. The trick is how do you, if you, if you start the gentrification mm-hmm. process, how do you keep it from going all the way right. and just flipping a school from being high minority, high poverty to something that's uh, basically, uh, you know, mostly affluent kids in the end. Right. Okay. Audrey, topic number two. Mike, you and Brandon recently co-authored a piece on the four different approaches states can take towards accountability under ESSA. Tell us about those camps. Okay, it is time for summer camp, and we've got camps again, Alyssa. <laughs> we, uh, we've had school choice camps. Now we've got ESSA accountability ESSA camps. camps. You know, this doesn't sound like, you know, a summer camp where you make a friendship bracelet. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> you know, or where anybody would actually want to go. No, you're right. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, so we basically say, look, when you think about how this law is going to be implemented, we say see four main groups 
forming. The first mm-hmm. one, these are really the teachers unions, other educator groups. Uh, their slogan is every school is a okay. Mm-hmm. These folks want to find a way to have every school look, look fine. So for example, if the school's got either high proficiency rates or high growth, they should get an A. Uh, mm-hmm. They want to look, uh, spend and put a lot of emphasis on these other indicators of student success, mm-hmm. probably something relatively squishy, like, I don't know, teacher engagement, for example. <laughs> and they especially want categories that, that sound good. Uh, Nebraska mm-hmm. does this, for example. They, their categories right now Great. are- Great. Good. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think it was uh, excellent, great, good, and needs improvement. You know, that does sound a lot like summer camp where every kid usually walks out with a trophy. It's like the trophy. Everybody gets a trophy. Uh, Now, look, the Department of Education is trying to keep this camp from winning uh, Mm -hmm. the tug of war because they've already made it clear, for example, that these other indicators can't count too much and they've narrowed the field and what those look like. Uh, But but still, that's one camp. The second camp is attack the algorithms. This Mm -hmm. is basically saying, hey, let's try to make human judgment a big part of these accountability systems. It really says, let's let's move to a school inspectorate system like they have in England. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that still could happen under ESSA, although the proposed regs certainly don't really talk about that possibility. Be interesting if if a state gave this a try. Uh, The third is Scholar's Paradise. I, I love the name of this. It's uh, it reminds me it's of it's kind of uh, like Gangster's Paradise. I was going to say it yeah, sounds like exactly. that Weird Al song. Yeah, we'll, but I didn't we'll, know if that was the reference you were the, going well, for. The Weird Al song was a, <laughs> it was a takeoff of another song, "Living in the Gangster's Paradise," which this was in really an education movie, right? Wasn't that in the Michelle Pfeiffer movie? What Michelle Pfeiffer? Oh movie? my God, Alyssa, you're, you're hopeless. No, I'm, she's uh, what's it? Dangerous Minds was that her? I, she's like the tough teacher. You know, usually. All right, I'm listeners, pretty, listeners, early. tell us. Tell <laughs> Come on, I'm, I'm counting on Melissa to be our pop culture person, but I, I forget that she can't do pop culture before, like, I don't know, the 2000s. So a little a earlier than that. Thank you very much. But I got your Bring It On reference earlier right, today. I'm just you. putting that out. All right. So uh, Scholar's Paradise this is basically the Morgan Polikoff uh, model. Mm-hmm. This is that where we do things like two-step value-added models and scale scores for achievement and a heavy focus on growth. A true uh, Scholar's Paradise. Yeah, but look, because what we want to do here is to evaluate what schools can control, right? The impact they have on student achievement and not conflate it with things like demographics or prior achievement. Uh, we like this one. And then finally, the final camp is the uh, NCLB mm-hmm. extended, not ended. Mm-hmm. This is uh, our friends on the school reform left, uh, civil rights groups who you know weren't so happy about this law to begin with and mm-hmm. are really trying to push states to keep a lot of NCLB's uh, provisions mm-hmm. in place, you know, and some of which I understand, some of which I just worry we're going to keep mm-hmm. having the same problems, like focusing on the bubble kids just mm-hmm. above and below proficiency, you know, or a narrow focus on reading and math scores mm-hmm. uh, in a way that's not actually that helpful. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Let me repeat again, four camps ready for them. Mm-hmm. Every school is A-OK. All right. Attack the algorithms, Scholar's Paradise, Paradise and NCLB extended, not ended. Make your t-shirts now, Alyssa. All right. But you, you'd like joined a camp. Like you're on a team in this piece, right? I, I am on, you know, I, I'm saying, look, I like Scholar's Paradise. I certainly am open to attack the algorithms. Not a big mm-hmm. fan of the other one. All right. Question three. Question. I, I see oh, wait, that. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Before we go on, I actually looked it up on my smartphone because oh, yes. I am that person. Uh, you were right. It was Dangerous Minds. Dangerous 1990, Minds. 1995. Wait, 95? 95. Thank you. Boom. Great year. You're a graduate from college. Alyssa. I don't even want to know how old you are. Okay, Audrey, <laughs> topic on. number three. Andy Smerick, another edgy reformer turned Hamilton fan, argues the musical addresses grit and privilege in a way that more schools need to adopt. Is he right? 
So, Alyssa, we got to talk about Hamilton. It's finally here. I'm so excited. Andy wrote a great piece last week for the 74. Got picked up by Time Magazine. Way to go, Andy. Nicely done. Uh, What's he arguing here? I mean, so he's looking at the issue. Andy uses Hamilton, which you should all see. And if you can't see it, listen to the soundtrack as a frame for the conversation between the tension between grit and the idea that you have to do everything yourself and really push yourself forward, which Alexander Hamilton, spoiler alert, had to do a lot of because Mm -hmm. he was, you know, a destitute orphan from the Caribbean before he came to New York with this idea of privilege and the idea that people have, you know, the benefits given to them and that they're kind of born with or born into Mm -hmm. and how those two things are in tension within our school system. And how do we teach kids about this? Because of course, both is true. I mean, there's been some writing lately about how, hey, if you're successful, you Mm -hmm. need to understand that it's, you know, mostly because of luck. And of course, any of us that are lucky to have had some success in life or, or you know, who are lucky enough to be uh, in, in on the affluent side of the big divides in America, we, yes, we have to say, of course, we've been lucky. We've been fortunate. Uh, a lot of this success was unearned uh, and was due to whether our parents or other circumstances that we don't get to take credit mm-hmm. for. And so we should have a sense of gratitude. Uh, at the same time, uh, you also see that most people who do succeed do also show a fair amount of grit themselves. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we're talking to kids, and again, particularly poor kids, what is the message that we want to send? It, you know, if, if you send a message that, hey man, it's all luck and you were born unlucky, mm-hmm. that's not exactly motivating. It's pretty bleak. That is bleak. Uh, you know, but of course you can overdo it with the grit stuff too, to, you know, to make it them feel like it's somehow that it's their fault or their mm-hmm. parents' fault that they are struggling. That you want to have uh, gratitude while you are also focusing people on mm-hmm. doing all they can to uh, rise above the circumstances of mm-hmm. their birth. Yeah, and you know, I think Andy chart really smartly charts this middle course between you know, helping kids understand and illuminate kind of all of the context that is modern day America, but also really pushing them and encouraging them to make their own destiny, to push forward and to do their best as well. And how we have to have both when we're educating our kids. Mm. There you go. All right. And someday you too can be on the $10 bill. Uh, not if, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda has his way. He does want Hamilton staying on that $10 bill. That's uh, for now. Yeah. For now. But I'm just saying, if you follow in the footsteps of Alexander Hamilton. That might one day be possible for you too, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Alyssa. That's all the time we got for Barton the Gadfly. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Filling in for Amber today, we've got David Griffith. David, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. David, uh, we were talking about our theater uh, exploits earlier. Did you high ever star school. in a high school musical? Uh, were you ever Tevya? I no musicals. No, uh, I was James and James and the Giant Peach in third grade. Oh my god, that's great! That's pretty big. That's role. fantastic. It was. It yeah. was. It was a breakthrough. I mean, it's not quite as good as being the Peach, but it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that came later. <laughs> that came later. Okay. So, <laughs> was there? Did somebody play the Peach? I don't even know what that looks like when on stage. My class did it when I was teaching second grade. We had a very large balloon that a uh, child was actually yes attached in, to because I needed yes. roles. <laughs> yes. Good. Um, By yeah. the way, are we all excited about the BFG coming out? Anybody? I, I am excited. When's it coming out? Uh, I mean, soon, I think within weeks, uh, if not oh, sooner. Everyone keeps looking at me for pop culture knowledge. And this is the <laughs> second time I failed it. And I also will publicly admit Weird Al did not sing Gangster's Paradise. He sang Amish Paradise. Amish Paradise. There we go. Okay. Hey, the big friendly giant. Check it out. But not until you listen to David tell us about a new study. What you got for us? Yeah. All right. So I've got the uh, ACT National Curriculum Survey 2016 edition, um, which 
uh, is basically a giant survey that ACT does um, of, as they put it, educational practices and college and career ready expectations. Um, and so basically they survey thousands of K-12 teachers and college instructors um, in English, uh, math, reading, science. Uh, and this time for the first time ever, I guess, they also surveyed uh, a national cross-section of uh, workforce supervisors uh, and employees. Um, so they're getting the uh, employer perspective mm-hmm. on what it takes to be college and career ready. Um, and they have a very broad perspective on this. They look not just at core academic skills. They also look at cross-cutting capabilities like technology and information literacy, mm-hmm. behavioral skills, basically non-cognitive skills, mm-hmm. um, and then education and career navigation skills, which mm-hmm. sound great too. Um, so the the big headline as they, as they present it is essentially that um, about two in five high school teachers – Uh, or college instructors believe that the common core standards are either a great deal or completely aligned with college instructors' expectations regarding college readiness. Mm -hmm. And I'm choosing my words carefully there because I think it matters um, because there's been some pushback on this. Uh, So essentially they're saying just two in five um, college and and, uh, instructors or high school folks Mm -hmm. feel that there's strong alignment. and I guess I should note that that's a pretty high bar. A great mm-hmm. deal or completely is a high bar. Yeah. Um, so uh, they they sort of go into detail on this. And, and one of the things they hone in on, that what I thought was the most interesting, was mm, they basically say that uh, there's a ton of emphasis in Common Core on source-based writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say once you get to college, professors really, I, I think, just sort of assume that you can do that um, and mm-hmm. really want to see if you can generate interesting ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there may be, I think, a little bit of a disconnect there between just the, the culture that college professors are a part of and what high school teachers mm-hmm. are dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, in any event, uh, there's also a lot of other um, just kind of interesting tidbits uh, tucked away here. So they looked at uh, non-academic characteristics uh, and the two that really popped out uh, across the board were acting honestly so mm. employers like that for some reason Shocker. Uh, and then sustaining effort um, so basically showing grit uh, and then they also looked at what they call skill areas and some other great things that we love here at Fordham popped out for example um, content knowledge mm. uh, scored very highly mm-hmm. uh, and then conscientiousness attention to detail completing work um, which again sounds sort of gritty uh, and then the critical thinking for, for what was the third one so um, you know, basically there was a, on the, on the non-cognitive side of things, there were a lot of interesting things about what employers mm-hmm. and, and, and college professors are looking for. Nothing too shocking. Um, they have some recommendations. Um, so, uh, some of them are more interesting than others. The ones that stood out to me were essentially, um, that, uh, schools should track non-cognitive skills, um, which we all know is harder than it sounds, mm-hmm. but they come out in favor of that. Um, and then, uh, they also say that, um, states and districts should invest more in technology use because um, employers basically said kids don't know enough about technology um, and you need it today. Uh, and then they said, have that, they actually met a kid? <laughs> yeah, I know. I found that a little hard to believe okay. too. Uh, so I don't know. Sometimes the grain size on these things is so yeah. big. It's like, who knows what it actually means. I, yeah. mean, I feel like the kids in my experience, because I, talked with a couple of them this weekend, they use tech that employers don't know about. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to Snapchat, but if I were asking a 22 year old Mm -hmm. about their tech skills, they would know how to Snapchat. 
Right. And there's a difference between, yeah, knowing Vine versus knowing like the norms of when you should cite someone or something mm-hmm. that you or find like on the internet. How so, to create a PowerPoint. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's been pushback against the study, um, basically from the Common Core folks uh, mm-hmm. and who've basically said it's kind of a disingenuous attack on Common Core. Uh, I am going to carefully not take any side on that. Um, uh, but but basically, I mean, I think it 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 highlights just this question, which is an important one mm-hmm. of, um, you know, have we got it right? Are we really, are we back mapping from the things that employers mm-hmm. and, 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 and college professors really think uh, are important mm-hmm. um, and, or do we need to tweak? Um, so what do you guys think? Yeah. Well, very well done, David. Ooh, and that was a the very succinct like yes. Uh, well, succinct. This used to be called, the, it was, I it's was, called was the research, research minute. minute. It's been a long time since it's really been the research minute. Research but the, hour. The, well, yes, the research period. So here's the thing. So there's a couple of things. First of all, the, the survey of college professors, is it true, David, that it was of math and English professors? Um, right. Yes. So on the citing text, for example, you know, mm-hmm. it's possible that if you asked history teachers, for example, they might feel strongly that that is something right. that kids need to focus on. And, yes. and uh, you know, so we're talking about English teachers here who maybe, again, when they're saying, well, we, you know, the, the, there's not as much citing of the text in English, perhaps, as you would see in other subjects. Uh, I think we would all agree that all these things are important. Yes, right. we want people to have good ideas and yes, thoughtful and- ideas and express it, but they also do need to be able to uh, write from the text instead of just writing about their own opinions or their own right i mean this was a big push in common core was people right. saying even back in the old days it was all about tell us your own views on x y and z tell us your own personal narrative tell us about a leaf that you saw yes um this is a question mostly for my own edification but do they talk about with the professors um i haven't read the study what institutions they're at is it a representative sample including community colleges <sighs> I'm going to have to plead the fifth on that okay. one. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, now, and the other thing that people say and I, look, is that ACT has gone back and forth a little bit on whether it supports the Common Core, doesn't support the Common Core, its own ACT Aspire test. At times, they say that it's Common Core lined. And yet, when we came out with our study, finding that it wasn't at that great a match to the Common Core, they said, well, that's by design. It is a match mm-hmm. to college readiness, not to the Common Core. So they've been a little playing both sides of the street on this one, which is fine. Look, they're out there trying to get states to adopt their test and getting more kids to take their, mm-hmm. their uh, college placement exam. On the whole, I think they've been a force for good in terms of helping us understand what it takes for students to be college ready and how many are getting to that point, which is still way, way too small. Yeah. I think that's the big takeaway is not enough kids are college ready. Can't disagree with you there. (laughs) All right. That's it. Unless anybody has a witty thing to say about Hamilton, tying it all together. Uh, No, only that David, if you would like to sing a verse or two, I don't know. No. no Okay. I don't have a thousand dollars to drop on seeing it. Sorry. (laughs) There's always Spotify, but Thank you, Mike, for not letting me, for not making me sing throughout this podcast. All right. Then that is all the time that we've got for this week. Until next week. I'm Alyssa Schwenk. And I'm Mike Petrilli, the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.